Oh, beloved, please turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we'll commence our reading from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. Um, I've been working through this passage. Just as you turn there, uh, this afternoon I'll be dealing with the matter of Christ as the image of God. And uh, the reason that is so important for us, especially in our day and age, is because people are very confused about their identities as to what they really are. They're, we're living in a very dehumanizing world where people are uh, just confused about who they are. And so we have all this chaos of transgenderism. Uh, but even more basic than that, we also are confused about what, is, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a husband? And uh, so this afternoon I'm going to be dealing with, I think, a very important subject, Christ as the image of God. And so I want to encourage you, please, to join us for that. Well, let's read from Acts chapter 20, and uh, uh, from verse 17, and I'm reading from the New King James. Please follow with me. From, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, and in what manner... I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up 
and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the word of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God be pleased to bless the reading of Holy Scripture. Let's pray once again, beloved. Please join with me. Our Father in heaven, we ask you, Lord, to meet with us now. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would hear this word and that our hearts would be conformed to the image of your Son in the hearing of the word and in the application of your word to our souls. We pray that you would be glorified in everything we do now. We pray that you would help us in our thoughts to remain focused, and we pray that you would give us tender hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are working through Paul's farewell address or speech to the elders in Ephesus, and I want to remind you that these were his final words to these elders, and so this was something of a of a a a swan song if you could call it that because he knew he would not see them again until he saw them in glory now last sunday we spent a, a great deal of time looking at some of the characteristics of paul's ministry uh with regards to his example and his life before the elders and before the church we noticed in the text how this phrase is repeated. You know, you know how I lived among you. The proof of the eating was in the, 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 the beholding. He, they could see his life. They savored his presence among themselves. And he is sharing this with them, beloved, because they are living in perilous times with great danger. And just as he has been faithful, he wants them to be faithful. There were several, or in fact there were 12 aspects or characteristics that we noticed last Sunday. That how he served with humility, how he served with tears and in great trials and difficulties. He was a man who showed great courage. He proclaimed the message of the gospel clearly. He didn't hold anything back which profited the church. He taught the whole counsel of God. He taught it publicly. He taught, taught it personally from house to house. Paul was a fervent man. He was an earnest man. He had no partiality. He preached to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And he urged the message of repentance and faith to all men. Well now... Paul sets before them something of what waits for him as he departs. And we're only going to be spending time on a few verses, verses 22 to verse 24. But as we think about these verses this morning, I want us to consider 
what Jesus said. Because when I think of what Paul says here, I cannot help but remember the words of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And then Jesus said this, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And may I submit to you, beloved, we have before us in the Apostle Paul an example of the very reality of what Jesus was saying here. And really what we see in Paul's life is that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. Lose your life for the sake of Christ than to waste it on, on the frivolous things of this world. So, thinking about Paul's ministry in verses 22 to 27, well, 22 to 24, we'll deal with uh, verses 25 to 27 next week. But thinking about what he says here. I want you to consider the fact that in this section, Luke replaces the, you know, you know, you know how I lived among you with verse, these words, I know, verse 23, and again, verse 25, I know, and verse 29, I know. And really what Paul is doing is he's turning from the past, what they knew, to the fact that the Holy Spirit is now telling him and showing him that there is trials up ahead. I know, I know that there is great tribulation awaiting for me. Look at verse 21. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Now this phrase, bound in the Spirit, some of our translations don't capitalize it. I think the New King James doesn't capitalize it. I don't think the King James doesn't capitalize it. But there are other translations that do capitalize it. And there, there's some debate as to whether this is His Spirit or the Holy Spirit. Some translations will say things like compelled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or constrained by the Spirit. Then we have the word bound. It literally means to tie objects together figuratively. And it could refer to confining someone in prison or to cause someone to be under authority of someone or something else. One translation paraphrases this verse, and I think, captures the sense of it, of what Paul meant by bound in the Spirit, rendering it drawn there irresistibly. And the way Luke writes this in the perfect tense indicates that this was Paul's permanent state. This was a man on a mission. He was drawn. He was, he was captivated. He was a slave. In fact, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that Luke describes or Luke captures the words of Paul in this way because Paul 
constantly refer to himself as a, a bondservant, a, a doulos, and one who served, a doule, his Lord. Whether your translation says the Spirit, as in the Holy Spirit, or the, his Spirit, as in his own personal Spirit, ultimately it doesn't make a difference. Because what this is communicating is that Paul was a man irrevocably and intimately bound to Christ his Lord and Master. That's the point. The will of Paul, the bound one, was consumed in the will of his Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a minute, beloved. What a thought. Here is this man, mighty man of God, this towering intellect, this, this man who, who so well read and so well versed in, in all kinds of things, this, this intelligent man. And he says he's a slave. How, how challenging, how challenging to our own culture and our own concept of what it means to be a man. This man did not see himself as independent. He saw himself as a slave. He saw himself as bound to one. And I want to challenge you with that. And I'm going to flesh that out particularly in this message. But we have to ask the question as we think about Paul's words here. This is not something that is, is irrelevant. This is not something that is outside of us. This is something that is very this, it's very pertinent to us. It's very practical. We must ask ourselves the question, are we who claim to be Christians, are we bound men and women, bound to Christ, not bound in the law or bound in sin or bound in any other kind of flesh, but are we, are we bound to Christ? Could you say truly of yourself today as you think of your life, could I say that I am a I am the Lord's bondservant. Can, could we say that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to compel our spirits? These are very good questions. As we grapple with what we see before us. Is your will, is my will consumed and subsumed by His good and acceptable and perfect will? These are the questions we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would apply to our souls. And I think that this is the practical application of what Jesus himself said when he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find, beloved, that when we live for ourselves, it is a very grievous and a very depressing and discouraging and burdensome existence. But when we live for Christ, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Contrary to what we would think. So, let's think about what Paul says here. Whether it was by the Spirit or his own Spirit, the point is Paul was constrained. He was bound by a compulsion which he couldn't shake. And he didn't want to. He was to continue to Jerusalem. And what awaited him in Jerusalem? Well, the Holy Spirit made it very clear to him. 
perhaps through prophets, perhaps through his own inner conviction. But what became clear is prisons and hardships <coughs> waited for him. Nevertheless, he kept traveling to Jerusalem. And so the question, beloved, comes, what is the burden of Paul's soul? What is his all-consuming desire? It is certainly not his own survival. It is certainly not his own well-being. But it is rather this pressing burden and passion of his heart that he may finish the race, that he may complete his Christ-given task of bearing witness to the good news of God's grace. And again, in the light of that, I would submit to you that what Paul is really saying and what he is saying to us through the pages of Scripture is that it is better to be faithful and die than to be unfaithful and live. Or to put it another way, it is better to lose your life than to waste it. If you were to ask Paul, if Paul were to sit here or stand here and you were to question him in the light of what he said, Paul, you, if Luke recorded this about you and your words. Help us to understand. Capture it in, in, in a phrase, if you would. We're really simple people, Paul, and we, we need to understand. Well, Paul would say this, my goal is not to stay alive. My goal is to stay on track. To stay on course. Do you remember what Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi? In chapter 3, verse 8, he wrote this, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So my beloved friends, the sheep of Christ, the question that you and I should be asking and seeking an answer to is, what is it like to have the mindset of the Apostle Paul? What does that look like? What does it mean to be to see the, the Apostle Paul and be moved by his Christ-like example that we would come to that place where we would say it is better to lose our life than to waste it? And furthermore, and equally as important, the question that we should be asking is, Am I losing my life for Christ or am I wasting it? Paul's example and testimony give us an answer to that question. So there are a couple of things I want to lay before you, five to be exact. I want you to see how this man lived and I want you to ask yourself the question, is this true of you? Look at verse 22. And now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. What is he telling us there, friends? Well, he's telling us that he was mastered by a person and by a power not his own. If Paul is saying better to lose your life than to waste it, 
what he is really saying is this, that he loves Jesus. That is his passion, his soul passion. He lives for Christ alone. And as he says this, he is speaking that this is not his own determined will, but the power of Christ. Paul didn't have some particular vision and, and wanted to go off and be a great man. No, he was constrained by the power of Christ. He was constrained by the Spirit. And may I say, beloved, this is the bare minimum for every Christian. This is how you and I started our race. This is how we started our journey when we were raised from our death in sin. This is how you and I were able to say, Jesus is Lord. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so the reality is this, none of us could ever say Jesus is Lord unless we were constrained by the Holy Spirit, consuming all our fears and all our rebellion. And no Christian ever says, it is better for me to lose my life than to waste it, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may I say, beloved, the fact that you can say that and live like that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life. This is the mind, according to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. This is the eye, the mind that is set not on the flesh, because the flesh is death. This is the mind set on the Spirit, because the Spirit is life. What's happened when you became a Christian, when you received Christ, is that the Spirit laid hold of you. And your new passion is a life utterly devoted to God's narrow pathway. Or, to put it in another way, to the race course, the, the course that Christ has set for you. The ministry that God has called you to, whatever that may be. Let me ask you a question, beloved. I ask myself this because it is very important. Have you lost your way? Have you lost your way? Or are you still running the race that Christ has set out for you? And so it is very important for us to see here. Paul was mastered by a a person and a power not his own. And that must be true for every Christian. If we are to bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples according to what Jesus says. But the second thing I want us to think about as we look at Paul is look at verse 22 again. Now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there. And the second thing that we find out as we think about Paul's heart and passion for Christ is Paul was content in Christ not knowing what the future held for him. Paul was content in Christ not knowing what the future held for him. You see beloved if we apply this idea of the unwasted life to what Paul is saying here the unwasted life 
that looks it looks death in the face and it says to death you are no threat to me better to die better to lose my life than to waste it I don't know what tomorrow may bring but I trust in him I don't know what the future holds but I know who holds the future and every pathway and every race course that God appoints for his children to run in some way shape or form it disappears over the hill called the future every ministry takes a turn around the corner called the future and it disappears into the unknown thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path we don't get to see what next year brings we don't get to see what tomorrow brings and so I want to say beloved that an unwasted life is always lived one step from the unknown Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says this by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going that's what faith in Christ does what does Hebrews tell us is the definition of faith faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen and so my friends I want to say to you it is better to lose your life on this narrow pathway of faith than to say I have to know how it's going to work out I have to be in control of it I've got to know what's coming you don't and you never will but you do know that he will be there with you and he will be there for you every step of the way and so that's the second thing the second thing is Paul was content in Christ not knowing with the future help for him but the third thing that we see from our text and we see this in verse 23 look at the text except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me the, the third thing that Paul tells us or the third thing we see about Paul is that Paul had courage to keep running to keep running even when the pathway of faith led him through suffering even when the pathway of faith led him through suffering Paul knew one thing about the future he knew one thing he didn't know how it was going to happen, but he knew this. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. And you see, friends, it's not just that the narrow path of faith, or as it were, the race course of faith disappears over the hill. The narrow pathway of faith is designed by God to take us through the fire. Are we surprised? Don't we hear the words of our Lord Jesus who said to his disciples in this world you will have trouble. Or what about what Paul had already said in Acts? He said this in chapter 14 verse 22 
after he strengthened the souls, he and Barnabas strengthened the souls of the disciples and exhorted them to continue in the faith. This is what Paul said to them. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. What did he say to Timothy? This is what he said in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't you think it's a problem, folks, that the majority of modern-day evangelicalism turns around and looks at you like you're some kind of a weirdo or there's something wrong with you? If you're being persecuted or if you're being estranged in this world. The sad thing is the church has left the way. I'm talking generally. Many have. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more? Will they call those of his household? And you know the Spirit testified to Paul. And he got real specific. And this is what Paul says. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So beloved, what do we learn? What do we take away? Pastor, you may be asking me today, how does that apply to me? What does that mean for me here in 2023, where I'm at? What does it mean? This is what it means, whether it is imprisonment or not for you, or for me. It will be something. The race course, the pathway of the Christian life always leads through suffering. God has one, one son without sin, but he has no sons. Without suffering. Can you see how Paul's life. Shouts out the testimony. It is better to lose my life than waste it. And beloved if you would follow Christ. Your life would be marked by that same reality. That same reality. That says I can be content with the uncertainty of tomorrow. But I can also be content with the reality and with the certainty that some of what tomorrow is going to bring is most certainly going to hurt. Thomas Brooks, wonderful Puritan writer, he wrote this. He said, stars shine brightest in the darkest night. Torches are the better for beating. Grapes come not to the proof till they come to the press. Spices smell sweetest when pounded. Young trees root the faster for shaking. Vines are the better for bleeding. God looks the brighter for scouring. And the juniper smells sweeter in the fire. Another saint who understood suffering was Spurgeon. And he said this, echoed the same thought and sentiment of Brooks. He said, I am afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny 
But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the crucible and the furnace, the bellows that have blown upon the coals and the hands which has, which has thrust me into the heat? Our troubles have always brought us blessings and they always will. They are the dark chariots of bright grace. The tears of affliction are often needed to keep the eye of faith bright. So let me say, beloved, when you are one who claims to follow Christ, what you are saying, and you can only say this, may I say it, you can only say it by the Holy Spirit. It is better to lose your life than to waste it. Because that means it is better to go through the suffering and the furnace than to waste life on the trivial and the transient. Well, there's a fourth thing here. Look at verse 24 again. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How on earth could we find the word joy in the midst of that sentence? But there it is. There it is. Joy. That I may know that I may finish my race with joy. What does that mean? How do we understand that? How do we quantify that? Well, let me say that the fourth thing I want to show you is Paul lived. This is his joy. He lived to exalt the greatness and the glory of God in Christ Jesus, who was his, the pearl of great price for him, who was, who was his supreme treasure. And my friends, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what ministry you exercise, because if you're a child of God, you are a priest in you're a you're a priest in the temple, offering up spiritual sacrifices. It doesn't matter what ministry you have. This one thing remains the same and remains true right throughout. We all have the same essential goal to magnify the glory and the greatness of of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And when we live for Him, there is joy in the journey. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory in the journey. This is the calling for every Christian. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes, it's a narrow path. Yes, it's a straight course. But the truth is, the turns... And the terrain may be different, but the aim and the purpose and the goal never changes, friends. It never changes. Listen to what Paul says to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. 
That is the ultimate meaning of life. Young people, you want to know what the meaning of life is? There it is. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Truly that is the definition of an unwasted life. That we may live a life, says Paul, worthy of His calling. To the praise of the glory of His grace. John Piper captures the beauty of this, I think, very well in his book, A Cause to Live For. He says this, any constellation of goals that you choose to live for will leave a craving vacuum in your soul. If God is not the pole star in that constellation guiding and shaping all your choices. God was the lodestar of Paul's life and the glory of God was the light of that immense and blazing star and all the other aims of his life were like moons whose only light and attraction were the light they reflected of that star. You see friends, when we don't live for the glory of Christ, all of the planets around us, all the things in our life begin to collide with one another and chaos ensues. ensues. If we're living for a relationship, that relationship will fail us. If we're living for a job, that job will let us down. If we're living for the accolades of and the praise of men, men will turn and despise us. There is nothing worth living for more than the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Because when we live for that, when we refuse to give our flesh its desire and to live for the dainties of this world and turn away from the living God and drink from those broken cisterns and those hewn out pots and those mucky, muddy puddles, when we refuse to do that, beloved, that's when we really begin to live satisfied with the greatest and the most glorious satisfying reality of them all Christ Jesus himself who is God's treasure to us so let me ask the question how do we define a a wasted life you want to know how to define a wasted life a wasted life truly is a life that leaves the narrow pathway of faith it is a life that leaves the race course of living to magnify the glory of the grace of God I must hurry on. Paul resolves, notice in this text, I'm going to Jerusalem, which meant Paul was not going to succumb and capitulate and give in to a life of ease in this present world. I appreciate John Piper. Again, he was speaking to some college students And he applied this very particularly to their context, to the American context. And I appreciate how he takes Paul's testimony and how he makes that application. This is what he says. And he's thinking along the terms of how most people would look at Paul, most Americans today. He said this, but Paul, you're getting old. 
How about a little cottage at the agency? You've already done more in your ministry than most people could do in five lifetimes. It's time to rest. Let the last 20 years of your life be travel and golf and shuffleboard and, and putzing around the garage and digging in the garden. Let Timothy have a chance. Come on, he's the young guy you can send him out to, to do the hard work. You've paid your dues. He's young. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus the prophet has told you they are going to, to bind your hands, feet, and hand you over to the Gentiles. And whatever you do, Paul, don't go to Rome and get out of your head the crazy plan of going to Spain at your age. You could get yourself killed. It isn't American. It's not the American dream of the sunset years. Now, Piper goes on to make this caveat. He says, don't misunderstand. I'm just fine with you retiring from your well-paying job at 55 or 62 or 67 and giving yourself for the next 20 years to a ministry that you only dreamed about and never had time for. And then he says this, there is no such thing as retirement from ministry in the Bible. Friends, I think that the testimony of Paul to these elders at Ephesus and to us who are reading the pages of Scripture is very powerful. Do you want your life to have meaning? Do you want your life to have purpose? Then don't live for yourself. Live for Christ. Proverbs says this, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Can we ever say, beloved, are we ever justified? And I'm asking you, are we ever justified in saying that the Christian life winds down? No. From the day that we become Christians till the day we die, the Christian life is ratcheting up, pressing on, pushing forth, laying hold of Christ who's laid hold of me, pressing on to that prize of, the, of Christ Jesus, that, that upward call. There are no sunset years for the Christian. There is no I paid my dues type of mentality in the ranks of Jesus' choice soldiers. Till you die, there is a race to be run. There is a ministry to be finished. Or if not, friends, it is a life to be wasted. And either you are wasting it or you are investing it. And it is far better to lose it than to waste it. Look at verse 24 again. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's only one other place where Paul speaks like this. You know where it is? It's right at the end of his ministry, just before he's about to be executed. And he's writing from the infamous 
prison, Roman prison, Mamertine prison. And he's saying this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here is a question I must leave you with this morning before I close. I could say so much more, but I must close. Are you ready for him? Are you looking forward to his appearing? Or are you, like so many other of the servants of the Apostle Paul, servants who served along the Apostle Paul, had turned away, Demas, he had turned away because he loved this present world. There is no middle ground here, beloved. This is something we need to understand. This is something that will only hurt us and hinder us if we don't grasp it quickly and lay hold of it. There is no middle ground. Either we are wasting our life or we are losing it for Christ. And in that, and in that instance, when we lose it for Christ, as Jesus said, we will gain it a thousand fold. Don't waste your life. Don't, young people, you have your whole lives ahead of you. Don't dilly-dally. Don't loiter along the highway of the world and, 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 well, I haven't quite made up my mind. And Don't sit on the fence. Get off the fence. The more you stand in the middle of the road, the more likely you are to be run over. Get out of the middle of the road and come to Christ and cling to Him. And your life will mean something. It will be Something that glorifies God and it will be precious for all eternity. Whoever loses his life for my sake, said the Lord Jesus, will gain it a thousandfold. You will never meet a servant. I would love to have just a minute with Pastor Ted Donnelly, now in the presence of Christ, and ask him, do you have any regrets? There's one thing he might say. Oh, that I did not serve him more. Oh, that I did not give him more. But our brother ran that race faithfully. And he has received that commendation from his Lord and Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Beloved, will it be so for you? Will it be so for me? God give us grace to lay hold of Christ and not let go. Amen. Lord, we ask you now to lay these words to our heart. We ask you, Lord, that your cords of love would bind us to yourself. That we would realize, Lord, that in giving up our lives, we have gained them a thousandfold. That we can never outgive you, Lord. 
that the thing that you want most of all is you want our hearts. You want all of us. Oh Lord, give us hearts for you, we pray. Let us not live feckless, anemic, pathetic Christian lives, inept, marked by inertia, marked by mediocrity. Let us remember the words, Lord Jesus, that you spoke to the church in Laodicea when you said, if you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Oh Lord, please have mercy upon us that we may once again lay hold of you and run the race with every ounce of our being. Lord, I pray if there are any this morning who don't know you, save them, Lord. Show them their need of Christ. Show them how they are wasting their lives. And show them, Lord, that you have come to give life and that in abundance. We ask all of this, Father, in Jesus' name.